Today's episode of 755 is Real is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to gotomeeting.com backslash tips. That's gotomeeting.com backslash tips. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome back to Seven Fifty-Five is Real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for the Athletic, with my co-host Eric O'Flaherty. What's up, Eric? How you doing, man? I'm good. Weather's turning around. Having uh, I've been taking the best care of myself uh, during this uh, time at home, so it's time to clean it up. But I'm feeling all right. How about you? Well, as long as you're Jeez, avoiding uh, avoiding the virus. Long winded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was more rhetorical than anything, Eric. But anyway, my, my bad. Uh, <laughs> Just doing that, a little reflecting. That accent you heard uh, interjecting there was none other than Peter Moylan, who we have back on the show today. What's up, Pete? How you doing, man? Um, look, Dave, I'm really glad you asked. I woke up this morning and I took a glimpse outside my window and I realized that it's just a beautiful day. And uh, I've noticed the extra greenery around. And who, who said being stuck inside is a bad thing? This is wonderful. I'm enjoying myself. How about you, Dave? How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm all right. Did you uh, sweep away all the pollen in your, or did you decide that, you know, I wait a few more days? I no, noticed. I actually went out there with a blower vac yesterday. Oh, um, yeah, there you go. With the extra wind that was happening yeah. around Atlanta yesterday, I figured it's a good time to get the pollen blown up in the sky and blown towards <laughs> someone else's house. So <laughs> I uh, went out there with a blower vac. I think you're pretty good now. I don't think it'll be it'll cover get covered again. I think we're almost past the worst of it. So yeah. I was, we've got a bit of extra time on our hands at the moment. I was scowling the internet and I found this product called Endust. Uh, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not, obviously not getting paid by them or anything, but yeah. I think I basically just bought a can of water because it's <laughs> it's it 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 doesn't take anything away. It just wipes the dust off. So I could have sprayed water on the on the pollen outside and done the same job, but I spent twelve dollars on end dust off Amazon. So, so there you go. So there goes the uh, end dust endorsement <laughs> down the drain. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, That's, Milo. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Any other terrible uh, products? So. <laughs> I can list it through. I can give you. I've been cooking. I can give you a cooking show review. I can. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's been going on for me. Man, everybody's been cooking. All. I get been cooking. I think. I think the restaurants are going to have. Uh, if if they re, they let them reopen anytime soon, I think they're going to have a tough time getting everybody back. There's been a whole lot of people no chance. Learning yeah, I don't think to, so either. Learning I'm, to. Uh, there's nothing more I want right now than just to go down to the <laughs> local sushi place and get as much sushi as I can possibly put in my stomach. It's not open right now? Your takeout no. places aren't open up there? I just don't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's easier just to stay. It's not about yeah. whether they're open or not, which sucks because yeah. I'm a restaurant owner and I want people to support my restaurant. But yeah. at the same time, I'm just kind of just got as much meat as I can get in the house. Oh, okay. Well, um, listen, we were going to uh, – I don't know if you if you heard our, our – Evan Gaddis podcast. Did you did you happen to hear that? I had li- I listened 
to a little bit of it, and I also read a lot of the comments about it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he was good. Um, he was great, man. Right. But but not just about the Astro stuff, but more the first part, which was all about his journey, which you know, you know the whole story. But to yeah. hear him narrate it. <laughs> Uh, the weight room when he told her that first time. Holy oh God. man, to hear him narrate it again, you know, a decade later was it was pretty moving. I mean, he got in; you could tell yeah. he was moved by it, just going over the details anyway. Um, yeah. But which brought us to we were thinking last week how we've had you on a bunch. You know, I did stories on you all the all the time, obviously, and your comebacks and all that. But it's been a while since, and I, we've never done it on podcast, obviously, when we talked about your journey. Or as yep. you put it to our the athletics Rust and Dodd in 2018, you said because you were uh, he had had you in with the Royals and you were back with the Braves yep. at that point. You said, "I lived a life before I came over here. I know what it's like on the other side. I know what it's like to get up every day and have to go to work," which made us think about the comparisons between you and Gaddis because mm-hmm. Gaddis's thing was ridiculous. I mean, it's a movie waiting to happen. But he was away from the game for four years, completely away from baseball. You were away from the from at least from organized any kind of professional level baseball, really, for what almost a decade. Oh yeah, eight years. It ended up being um, yeah from the time. Yeah, I was still playing local right. local baseball, but yeah, as far as organized baseball was concerned, I didn't play for eight and a half years. What do you mean local? Here's a, What's local it's baseball? Like glorified semi pro ball, beer league, right? There's nothing that uh, is there like men's leagues over yeah. here. No. Okay, right. so the, uh, a local baseball club in Australia is basically just a bunch of guys that live in the general area. That, um, it's a, there's one league, uh, and everybody just plays everybody. So every year there's probably six teams that are pretty good uh, out of ten, and it's just a competition. It's just a bunch of men that love playing baseball. We train twice a week. Uh, as a coach, I would try to make it mandatory, but guys would have work. So, so if you had practice. Done work, then, yeah, you had practice and everything. Yeah, um, we'd sometimes play midweek games. Um, so it was we played. I think last the last season that I coached there, the season was thirty six games long. So you'd probably play two games a week for a couple of months. Or three and these months, and but, these um, are guys like you're not. You're the only one that had even been in in the American in minor league baseball, right? No, 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 no. There was guys that had gone over and come back. It was, oh, okay. it was, you know, it was because at that time too, the Australian Baseball League wasn't what it is now. It was just basically a two-week tournament where you'd go and you'd play a round-robin competition, mm-hmm. and then you would end up deciding who was the, the national champion. So that was the Australian Baseball League. But in the meantime, you'd have to play for your local club in the lead-ups to what they called ah. the Claxton Shield. So yeah. the club ball competition, it was okay. Um, it was probably two levels below the Australian Baseball League itself, um, mm-hmm. but you just still had some pretty good quality players there. And I, you know, you got the chance to hit and play first base and shortstop and third base wherever you wanted to play. So how, it was a fun, basically fun-driven competition. How would you, you guys play- do against like a high school varsity team? The teams you're rolling out there, would you kill them? Uh, no, it would be a pretty good competition. Okay. Um, you know, it, it, just like high school teams, I'd imagine you've got your one stud guy that yeah. would pitch every Friday night. But then, as you get towards the back end of the bullpen, towards game three of a week, yeah, you're sort of <laughs> you're looking down. You're going, "Oh man, what have we got to choose from?" So, the, it's there's usually a couple pitches. Um, but look, if you look back at, at the guys that I've played with on club ball teams, it's I can make a pretty good a pretty good team. 
So anyway, so that's what you're doing while you're a pharma. At, at the end, you're a pharmaceutical pharmaceutical salesman for several years, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I started in the warehouse. Okay, so before before the Pro Bowl thing, there was a little bit in between where I went to Taiwan. Um, so, and when I got back from Taiwan was when I started working at the pharmaceutical place, which was at the end of 2003. Uh-huh. Uh, started off in the warehouse. Once again, this is going to surprise everyone, but I came back from Taiwan because I got injured. Uh, so after I recovered from my second back surgery, uh, I just started working at my mate's pharmaceutical company in the warehouse, just trying to trying to make ends meet and you know make yeah. some money while I'm while I, I. It's a funny place to go work when you can't lift anything is a warehouse. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I was just basically on the on the computer and making sure I was printing everything out all right. But um, yeah, so that was my warehouse days, and then eventually a sales job came up, and he said, "Would you want to try sales?" And it's something that I've done my whole life. So uh, I jumped in, started doing it. And that's what I was doing uh, when I was pitching for Australia at the World Baseball Classic. I was on I was on two weeks annual leave from my pharmaceutical job to come pitch for Australia against Venezuela in the World Baseball Classic. All right. So let's let's recap real briefly your big league career. Uh, just over a year ago, February 2019, you told me you were retiring from big league, from Major League Baseball. You still plan to pitch professionally in Europe for kind of a low-level team over there, professional team, and then compete for the Aussie Olympic team, which, yep. by the way, that's obviously that, that ended hard. That just wasn't meant to be, I guess. That was not meant to be, no. <laughs> uh, you're not going to stick around for 2021 for that or what? It's uh, not a 100%, 100% absolute no. Yeah. But judging by how uh, this last month has gone, I, I don't. it's going to be tough for me to try and ramp it back up again, I think. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, you were announcing in February 2019, you told me you were announcing your retirement from MLB after a 12-year career, included nine seasons with the Braves and three different stints. You also had a year with the Dodgers, two with the Royals, and you finished with a career 3-1-0 ERA, 324 strikeouts, 418 innings, 499 appearances. But you told me you had actually had 500 games, though? Correct. I got a pinch hit appearance in Arizona where I rolled into a double play. <laughs> So it's so it's 500 games and 499 appearances. Anyway, your best work came with the Braves. Obviously, you had a 2.80 ERA and 356 appearances for the Braves, including that very memorable rookie season when you had a 1.80 ERA and 90 innings over 80 appearances. I wish I knew that how good I was when I was doing that stuff. <laughs> Honestly, that's the one thing that I look back on. I'm like, man, I was doubting myself during during that period of my career. Wow. Even like even as you were doing that, oh yeah, there was a point where you obviously it was my I had a little bit of a of a cup of coffee in two thousand six, but two thousand seven was my breakout year. Uh huh. And then, um, but at the same time, you know, I had the experiences of two thousand six where I got called up and yeah. sent back down four times. So yeah. I never I never really quite got what it took to get called up and sent back down. So I was always looking over my shoulder, even while I was I was pitching as well as I was. Um. But the, I, I, I was just towards the end of the year, it got to the point where, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, but it got to the point where if the phone rang and it was a situation I thought I was supposed to pitch in and I didn't get called, no matter how many times that I pitched in the days before, I was so pissed off. That's how good <laughs> oh, I was yeah. going. That's how good I was going at some point. It was just like, it's my job to get that guy out. Why am I not in there doing it? <laughs> Wow. Well, not surprisingly, you had Tommy John the next year, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep, I did. Yeah, yeah. And that and was. what's amazing is 
you came back from Tommy John, and in the two seasons after that, you made 172 appearances in the two seasons after Tommy John. Yep. One of the <laughs> one, one of the unknown facts about the whole Tommy John, the first one, was that um, – so I had the surgery in May of 08 – I think uh-huh. it was. Yeah. Um, and I was pitching in spring training yeah. games that next year. I remember so that. I was pitching in spring training games in uh, 10 months after Tommy John surgery. That, that's unheard of now. It never happens. That's like position I, player now. I ten, broke ten with months. the team uh, and I wasn't allowed to go back-to-back in the first month of the season because uh, I was only 11 months out of Tommy John. So, But that didn't include dry humps, just yeah. to let you know. So yeah. I didn't go back-to-back. On paper, in the first month of the season, but I still, I still threw a lot that first month. But I, I look, I, I felt fine. I felt great the whole time. And you still had eighty-five appearances, even though you didn't go back to back the first month. Yeah, <laughs> and I was, and you know what's funny is that I, I say I felt fine, and physically I did feel fine, but my feel was was way off for the first half of that season. And I don't know if you can break down the numbers by half, yeah, or up to the All Star break and after the All Star break, but um, like the numbers were ridiculous compared to the, from the first half to the second half. And I think that as much as you can physically come back from Tommy John that quickly, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think you are the pitcher that you were beforehand until, you know, 12, 13, 14 months, even maybe never, <laughs> maybe never. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In some cases, maybe never. Spe- tell people what dry humps are because they're probably going, what did he just say? Dry hump. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you want to jump into that? Uh, it's just, that a few? you know, you just, you obviously have to warm up for scenarios that don't always occur. Um, so, you know, they call down more, more so in the national league than the American league. The there's league. always the, if he, if we get to him, which yeah, is so, what I've heard more times than I need to know. Yeah. A lot of times you have to get up in case you get to the pitcher spot, you're going to throw the next inning. So, um, there, it's just a situation where you get all the way hot, you're all the way ready, and then they tell you to sit back down. And it, I mean, it can happen two, three times a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's tough on your arm, you know. As, as a, yeah. I guess you know, I, and that's what people don't see. They don't. They don't. Yeah, that's not recorded anywhere. Well, teams, I our, think, our outfielders used to see it. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. teams are really doing a lot better job of keeping track of all that now. But uh-huh. you know, back then it, it was kind of like it fell on you to manage it and get yourself kind of loose, but, you know, not, not throw too much. And some of us did a good job and others didn't. I, I never did the best job because I always wanted to be full hundred percent letting it eat in case I went in the game. And then all of a sudden you do that, you know, for a whole year, maybe. Yeah. And you might, you know, you might warm up 120 times, mm-hmm. you know, off the mound <laughs> hot in a season. And it's, it's crazy. You know what? And, that's a lot and, of dry humping. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and the mindset, the mindset is you'd much rather be over hot than than trying to go into a game cold. So, yeah, but you kind of um, have to risk. At it. least that was my that was my point. It was like, look, I, I've got to be ready to go in there, not knowing there was one game where I got four warm up pitches or four warm up throws in New York because Bob Wickman said that he couldn't go in the game and, and we had no time. Just to, and <laughs> I, had four, I literally threw the ball four times and then ran into a game at Shea Stadium. And I wow. did fine. <laughs> Adrenaline's amazing. Yeah, so, you know, isn't that crazy that, that you, you're so, you know, you kind of have some anxiety that you're not going to be loose enough or ready. And, and then once you jog out there, you're usually okay. But Yeah, exactly. The, I mean, the, hey, Pete. Yes. The the stat you were, while you were asking about those stats you you had that year you were right your recollection yeah. is right on target right you, you had a uh, first half 
4.62 ERA in 49 appearances with a 1.568 whip. And then the second well, half, you had a yeah. 1.00 ERA in 38 appearances. That's better. Uh, yeah, yeah. You went from, um, yeah, 1.167 whip in the second half. But yeah, 1.0 ERA in the second half, 4.62 in the first. I'm sorry. Well, I well and that was also I, that was a, I decided not to pick up a baseball during the All Star break that year too because I was so frustrated with the way everything was happening. So I went from being the guy that couldn't even take an off day off to taking the full three or four day All Star nah. break off and throwing. And I came back and I felt just I just felt amazing. Two seventy two batting average allowed in the first half. Seven sixteen OPS. Second half two seventeen batting average. Four five eighty one OPS allowed in the second half. That second half, you were rocking, man. Jeez, you were, so you were only like at that point, fourteen months back from uh, TJ, which is when guys come back now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Jeez. It's so crazy to go back and think about all that sort of stuff. Wow, I can't even believe you came back in ten months. I was, I, I mean, I was covering it, but man, I forgot it was that quick. Yeah, but as I said, it, it was never at one point did I ever physically feel like I couldn't do it, and it wasn't like I was. I was over pushing myself. That was just the timeline that we had set. And I, I never had one setback. I never had one day where I was throwing or I was like, oh, that felt a little bit off. It was literally from the minute I started playing catch, my arm felt great the whole process of my, of my first Tommy John. Yeah, I've been around so, yeah. a lot of guys that had Tommy John and everybody's everybody's saying something about their arm. Marlo's one of the only guys I've ever been around that just – Yeah, that's crazy. He man. was fine. He just – yeah, I feel good. That was it. He never brought it up, never complained yeah. about it. I think that's but you why. Went from, yeah. I mean, your arm didn't warn you. didn't warn you what was happening, did it, Moilo? Because after no, that, it, uh, the injuries really started after those two years. Yeah. Well, yeah. That was more my fault. And, yeah, um, obviously there was the the amount of games that I pitched early in my career, but there's also the lack of, of yeah. me taking care of myself. Um you know, I uh-huh. <laughs> I was going to take full advantage of the fact that I was in the big leagues, especially early <laughs> on. I didn't know how long this was going to take. Yeah, and, <laughs> and you can you can take that whether it's, uh, it's what I was doing in between pitching or what I was you know I was trying to get as much memorabilia as I possibly could get my hands on. It was I was asking anybody that walked into the clubhouse whether whether they would sign a baseball for me. So it was you know I. I had come from a beer league baseball team to <laughs> a major league baseball team. I was going to take advantage. <laughs> you know, you didn't know when it was going to end. You were going to get the most out of that shit, huh? Correct. Correct. So you went from uh, 172 appearances in those two years to making 35 appearances over the next four years. Yep. And having your second Tommy John surgery, right? Yep. Yeah. So from really uh, 2011, uh, was when it all sort of went to went to shit. Was uh-huh. um, you know I had a pretty good year again in 2010. Uh, o, me and O out there uh, coming in every other day felt like, or every day felt like. Um, and then 11, I blew out um, my back at the start of the year, and I, I honestly thought it was one of those injuries where I'd take a couple of days. Every every year there would be a point where I'd have to sit for three days, and no one would ever know this because I wouldn't go on the DL or. And I think, oh, you had a couple of these as well, but Plenty. your back just seizes up and you literally can't do anything. You can't move. You can't get up. It's not a comfortable position you can get in. It's non-negotiable just, when your back does it's that. It's non-negotiable. It's three days and you'll be back on the fourth day. You yeah. see, and that's just the way it is. Um, so I'd had a couple of those and I thought it was going to be the same thing. 
Um, and then all of a sudden, a week later, they're flying me out to California to get uh, Dr. Watkins to, to look at my back again. And I was like, oh, you've got to be shitting me. Um, but wow. I managed to get through that. So I'm going to tell you another part of this story that, that no one knows either. So because of while I was out there in California getting my back uh, looked at, we decided to go get my shoulder looked at at the same time because I'd been having shoulder issues in the lead up, getting cortisone shots and all the rest of it. Um, so while we were out there, I got my shoulder checked out. Problem was, I was so hocked up on pain pills because of how painful <laughs> my back was that he was doing all these tests on my shoulder. And I, didn't, I was like, oh, no, it feels fine. No problem. No problem at all. So I go get my shoulder tested and I, I, I walk out of there thinking I've got no issues at all. I recover all the way back from my back surgery and I'm pitching in a game in September and I blow my shoulder out in September. I'm like, oh, my God. Come on. Oh, so there goes another year. So I, that was um, wow. September 11. So then I signed I signed that minor league deal with the Braves to come back in 12. Yeah. Um, and and worked worked my, my way back from my first shoulder surgery. Um, Sooner than we thought. that was another one. Again, but that was another one where I thought, okay, my career is over. There, there was a period, it was after spring training, it was during the extended spring training and I was down in Orlando and, you know, I'm working out with the, with the minor league um, trainers down there and, and, you know, they're doing everything they can to try and get me ready to play catch every day and it's just nothing's working. And Huddy, Huddy was down there at that point recovering from something. I don't know what it was, whether it was ankle or, or what. It, no, it might have been his Tommy John as well, but he was recovering. Uh-huh. And, we'd, and we'd go out to play catch and he'd say, dude, what are you doing? Like, this just it looked like I was flipping pizzas. That's what he described at one point. He said, it looks like you're throwing a baseball by trying to flip pizzas. And and I, again, got to that point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to find something else to do here because my arm's not recovering. I started playing catch left-handed, trying to, trying to figure out if I was going to be able to wake it back as a lefty. Um, but, yeah, it just turned out that it, I got – one of the doctors came in one point and grabbed my you're shoulder serious? and did, did the shaking of the of – the, of the shoulder and it popped back into place and the next day I went out and played cash and it felt amazing. Wow. Just, there's, so, there's been so many stories along my way where I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm done now and I just somehow managed to find a way to come back. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting the goals for the day, exercise or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors and a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can, you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code 755 at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code 755 for 25% off your first order. It was rather another rather amazing comeback for you considering you were closer to 40 than 30 at that point. And you went to the Dodgers for the you, – you returned from the Dodgers for your second stint with the Braves, which was the two-year minor league deal, which was cut short because you made it back sooner than expected. 
So it's yeah. you. So so that was that that deal was kind of ripped up because you made it to the major leagues in that first year back. Well, that was a player coach deal too. So right, right. Um, <laughs> but you never ended to, up doing that. Can you right? explain never the player played. coach? I, okay, so, I, I, I want to know this forever. What you were doing uh, on a daily basis? And you just said, "Well, <laughs> I'm better than these guys," and started playing. <laughs> right, okay, but listen. Okay, before we go to the player coach, write that down because we'll come back to it. I got to talk about the LA days and the Houston Astros spring training blowout days too. So there, I'll just cover it real quick. Yeah. So I go to LA. I go to LA after Boilo and LA. That's great. And I'm I'm literally thirty percent of the picture that I was two years before, but <laughs> yeah. I'm out there trying to get it done. And I get called up because I'm a good guy and they want me in the clubhouse. And then, but whenever they actually need pitching, I'm the first guy to get kicked out. But when they don't need pitching, I'm the first guy to get called back up again. So that was my LA days. I didn't do anything on the field, had a great time off the field. And then I had next year, I'm like, okay, here's the big turnaround. I'm healthy. I feel good. Let's go. But I'm going to sign with Houston, um, who was rebuilding. I'm going to go to spring training. I'm going to make the team. It's going to be great. Uh, I get a week and a half away from spring training and I've been battling a bit of a foot injury because I was fat as a house and I was trying to pitch and I was battling a foot injury. So I'd basically changed my mechanics in order to try and get through spring training and make the team. And my arm angle was higher and that in turn caused me to blow out. So blew out with a week to go before the end of spring training. Looked like I was probably going to make the team. Mm. Didn't end up making the team. So I ended up spending that whole year on workers' compensation. Making, by the way, $850 every two weeks. That was what I was making for uh, workers' compensation that year. So anyway, <laughs> move on to Atlanta the next year. John Sherholtz calls me and he says, hey, what are you doing? I said, nothing. I said, I've recovered from Tommy John. I feel great. I've been throwing, but I'm only throwing fastballs. And I've had a couple of scouts come out and look, and nobody's interested in signing me. He says, okay, how about this? <laughs> we'll sign you to a two-year player-coach deal. You can recover from your Tommy John surgery, and you can – help practice, uh, help work out with our guys. And uh, if it works out great, if it doesn't work out, then you go to, you go to Danville and you're the pitching coach. That's, so, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I said, yeah, well, and that was a great move by him, but that was a great move by the Braves. And that's the reason why, you know, Braves have always got a, a, a soft spot in my heart because they've continued to do the right thing by me. Um, that, so Jonathan Sherholtz, by the way, just to clarify. So, yeah. Jonathan Sherholtz. Yeah. Young Sherholtz. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, that was that was me looking at this as as this could be the last chance for me to do anything. Um, yeah. But also, at no stage during my recovery did I ever think that I wasn't going to come back. It was it was no point that I didn't feel great. Um, and um, you know, I think oh, you, you've noticed this about me that that you know my, during the season my workouts weren't <laughs> stellar, but. I think part of the issue was I had to work so hard in the interim to get back to, to, the, to the big leagues that once I got back there, I was like, okay, I'm going to do whatever I can to obviously maintain my arm. But as far as strength goes, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm done. I'm just going to try and get as much out of this as I can. But 15, 15 was, the, was the turnaround point. 15 was the point where I got a real, real appreciation. And as I was teaching all these young kids and talking to these kids on a daily basis, it was reminding me of the things that I had to remember when I was out on the mound too. So um, that period from 15 and then when I eventually went to Kansas City was was a pretty cool point for me. You know what's funny about that though when you talk about all the work and everything in between is we both pitched in the same amount of games. Yeah, it's true. We both had a bunch of injuries. Yeah. You know, it's, it yeah. makes me question if there's really – if it's almost just a crapshoot. I mean I spent, right. I spent every day in the weight room and still got hurt just as much. 
Yeah, but imagine if you – I feel like imagine if you hadn't. Maybe I feel like A lot of yours was maintenance with your back. <laughs> like yours was – but if you hadn't have done the maintenance with your back the way that you did it, yeah, um, I, I think – I mean, I just went the – like everything, I went the surgery route. I just got my teeth fixed. Just fix them with <laughs> surgery and hammers. It doesn't matter. Just go. Just, just do whatever you <laughs> yeah, can. You make me look better. Go. <laughs> Whereas you do the hard work route. You know, I didn't want to go the five years of braces. I said the, I would do the four hours of in the chair. Smash me around. <laughs> Smash me around of there. So, so, so you, anyway, they ripped that deal up and you leave after a year because you got, you went, what, got another minor league deal with Kansas City. You were on minor league deals like how many years in a row? I from twelve to the end of my career. So Jeez, like 12 that's through, amazing. Twelve through eighteen, yeah. you had to win a spot every year in that year in that span. But I also feel like that that you know I never I never was able to sit back and go okay yeah. now not that I don't think I, I would have actually right. I probably would have I would have at least a little bit relaxed a little bit. There's a balance yeah. to um, it. Yeah. I agree. So, so you came back and pitched 50 games in 16 for the Royals, and then you led yep. the majors with 79 appearances in 17 with the Royals, and you were 38. I was. You're older yeah, than uh, O'Flaherty right now. Yeah. Those two years in Kansas City were um, were were as good as two years as I've had in baseball, as fun I think because it was so unexpected for me to do anything yeah. like what I did in Kansas City. House money. Um, so it was It was just – I was just having the time of my life over there as well. Um, you know, I was older. I'd, I'd got a lot of the stuff that I wanted to get out of my system, out of my system in the early years. So I wasn't so worried about doing the cool shit. I was more worried about, okay, let's make this last a little bit longer. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, – and if it wasn't for Chris Medlin getting hurt that year, I, I would still be – in probably in the minor leagues with him. I had to call JJ Picola. So I called him, we're about a month into the season in Omaha, and I called JJ Picola, who's the assistant general manager of the mm-hmm. Kansas City Royals, and I said, JJ, I love you, but I'm not here trying to win the PCL Pitcher of the Year. I'm <laughs> pitching my dick off down here, and if you're not going to give me an opportunity, give me a chance to go somewhere else. And um, he was he was like, look, I understand what you're saying. We, we're going to try and get you up as quick as we can. And then two days later, Medlin and Chris Young both got hurt and they needed an arm and, and I got called up again. Again, got lucky. A lot of the time, uh, you know, my circumstances revolved around luck. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. anything extra that I did. It was just the perfect time that they needed an arm. They, they knew what they were going to get as far as what I was going to be like in the clubhouse. And um, I think that's half the reason why I got all the jobs that I got. And you came back one last time, one last stint with the Braves. Your ERA went yeah. up to four, four, five, and eighteen, and you finished that year uh, on the DL, right? And you f- and with the phantom injury yep. or whatever. And then uh, phantom? What do you mean? No, it was a legit injury, David. <laughs> okay, okay. And that was it. You called it a career the following year, twelve-year yep. career. But I did. What we wanted to, and we've already spent half this podcast, but what we wanted to, to, to go back to, speaking of getting out of your system, some stuff that you had as a youngster, <laughs> we wanted to talk about that stuff that was in your system as a youngster. You had okay. a, so, so that led to, before you had this improbable 12-year career that began with the Braves signing you out of the WBC in, what, 06, when you were this yep. obscure side armor throwing upper 90-mile-an-hour sinkers for Australia. Mm-hmm. We wanted to go back and specifically your two years pitching rookie ball with the twins in 1996, yeah. 97. God dang. If there was ever a shit show that, <laughs> that needs to become a TV. I mean, it was, 
you got to understand, guys. I was a I was a just out of high school, <laughs> never never really got the attention from any kind of ladies because I didn't know what hair product was. I still had my original teeth. I was slightly chubbier than most. I had a stutter for the majority of my high school. Did you really? So for me, oh, dude, I had a bad stutter, yeah. So so then part of, part of my appeal, 95% of my appeal is the way that I talk and what I can say coming out of my mouth. So when I have a stutter, and I look the way I look. You can imagine what I was dealing with, right? I feel bad. So for me, <laughs> the card was against the deck. The deck was stacked against you. Way, way stacked. So for me, for me to leave and to come to a different country and to be, you know, what I thought was a pretty cool athlete because I'm basically I play for the Twins now. Even though I'm in rookie ball, I play for the Twins. As far as every woman who walks yeah. up to me knows, no, no, I play for the Twins, babe. Um, so yeah, it was just. It was just one of those times where, where I, I took advantage of, of getting a little bit more attention that, that I had ever received and, uh, and I was in, enjoying it. Um, that to me, it was about having fun and it wasn't about the game of baseball and that was, that was the issue and that's 99.9% of the reason why I never did anything that my first stint. And I don't think, um, you know, I, I wasn't ready for what, what it was, what pro life was going to be about as a 17-year-old kid. Um, that you know, at least a lot when of guys. I know, but it, it most of the guys, um, the you know, Latin Latin guys are, are faced with the same shit, but they're still only a two and a half hour flight if they have the means to be able to get on a flight. The issue with well, with us is that mm-hmm. we're we're twenty two hours away from the closest thing that we have to family. Yeah. Um, so. You know, a lot, a lot of guys get homesick and, and they sort of, and they rebel and, and um, you know, you, you hear a lot of stories about Aussie guys being crazy or being, being uh, you know, a lot of fun to be around. But I think a lot of that just comes from the fact that we're so far away from home. We're just trying to adapt. And we're trying to get used to, to, to a new lifestyle. And you're 17, 18 years old, right? And you're two years of rookie sure. ball? Jeez. Yeah. Uh, 17 years old, living in a hotel, um, <laughs> literally no supervision. I mean, we get curfew checks, but as you know, oh, those curfew checks were probably, if you got caught out for curfew checks, then you were out every night. Yeah. Or you just got really, or you just got really unlucky because they hardly ever did them. But yeah, so no rules, no, no nothing. Did I ever tell, did I tell you guys the story about the stereo system that I bought? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Come on. I had to have told you this. No, nope, I don't so. think I remember it. Uh, okay, so this is part of my rookie ball experience. Um, I used to go to this nightclub called Pyramids Nightclub. Was it 18 and, and over? It was 18 and over. Nice. And <laughs> the thing the thing with me is that as a 17-year-old, we do our dates backwards in Australia. So the December 2nd in Australia is 2-12-1978. Whereas over here, that reads as if I am already 18 in February. <laughs> so oh, I was going to these oh, clubs as a 17-year-old. And all I used to do back in the day was put a black X on your wrist with mm-hmm. Sharpie and you just go straight into the bathroom and wash it off. So that was my years as a 17-year-old. I'd go to this place every single night. And I, I, <laughs> another smart decision was that instead of – Every night, every single night. So instead of and rookie ball, you got this is my morning routine. games, right? Yeah, this was my routine, right? So <laughs> another smart decision. I decided to take my signing bonus in cash, or just just give me a check, and I'm going to cash the check. 
So I went and cashed the check. It was, it was at this point. It was I think it was about six thousand dollars. So I went and cashed a six thousand dollars check. So I got cash in my hotel room, six grand. Nice. Don't I don't go put it down in the safety deposit box behind reception because that would make too much sense. I keep it in my room in a sock. So we're at. We're at Pyramids Nightclub. I used to take $100 bill out of my sock and I'd go to Pyramids Nightclub every night and I would change it into five 20s. I would change it into five 20s and that would be my that would be my drinking budget for the night. Mind you, it was free beer from eight to ten and then $2 well drinks after that. So, yeah, uh, I would go to this place every single night. Um, you know, all of a sudden DJ cool, let me clear my throat would hit the, would hit the sound waves and I'd be out on the dance floor rocking it till about 1 in the morning. And then I'd go home and I'd try and make some sort of wake up call or alarm setting. Um, and then I ended up missing practice and you know how bad this is. I ended up missing practice three times in one year because I was hungover. Dave, that doesn't happen. Oh, you don't, don't miss. Don't you miss. don't miss. In baseball, you don't, you just don't, don't miss. You might be late and, once and or twice, but you don't miss a day ever. <laughs> and you do at least show up. I just didn't show up. I just went to the mall. <laughs> Probably took another one of those hundreds out of my sock and went to the mall. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I go to Pyramids Nightclub, and I'm there one night. And this guy that I'd sort of seen there, he was a, he was a he was a regular, I guess you'd call him. And, you know, he comes over to me. He's like, hey, man, what's up? I was like, hey, what's up? He's like, hey, are you interested in buying a stereo? I was like, what, like for my house? He's like, no, no, for your car. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I don't have a car. I don't own a car. I'm just, yeah, yeah, I'll buy a stereo. Why not? So You're just flexing, huh? He, yeah, I was just, yeah, I got cash. So I decided to bring this guy back to the hotel room. And I'm like, hey, just wait outside and I'll get some cash for you. I think it was like 600 bucks for all these things. Anyway, I go inside to my room. I get the money out of my sock. I come back out with 600 bucks and I give it to him. I get the stereo equipment. I put it inside my hotel room. I close the door and I jump in the car with him and we go back to pyramids. So I've got stereo system. I'm good. I'm ready to go. I stay there until two in the morning and I go back home and I'm in, and I'm in a cab or I'm in a mate's car or something and I'm pulling up to the hotel and I see flashing cop lights outside the hotel. I'm like, holy shit, what's going on? And I look around and I find out that they're at my door. Oh no! And there's fingerprint. There's fingerprint dust all over the door. There's all the Dominican guys are outside who are like, obviously moiling the fuck up's done something else." <laughs> so I go walking up and I'm like, "The cops!" I said, "What's going on?" And they're like, "Oh, we've had a break in." I was like, "Oh, oh no. no!" They take the stereo equipment. <laughs> no. Like, no, no, no! You took your money. You took all your cash. <laughs> <laughs> my whole room was ransacked. I still had the stereo equipment, but I lost all the cash that I had in my sock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you serious? Oh my god! It's a one hundred percent true story. Not not one event that is that happened. Yeah. So about five grand at that point was left that, that they took. I think I think it was about three and a half by that point because I had a pretty good summer, Dave. So. <laughs> I wonder what the success rate uh, is trying to sell car stereos at the club. <laughs> I mean, I know, like one in a thousand. At, at least one. I know of one at least. So you think yeah. this guy knew what room you were in? I mean, you, he, he came left to his the, room. Well, took him back to the room. He took so he him to his room oh, to put the stereo smart, in yes. there. Smart, Moilo. There you go. And I, I asked a few people that were still at the hotel, and they were like, yeah, they, he was kind of just sitting out in a chair at the front of your room waiting for people. Like, he just must have looked seedy as shit the whole time. But uh-huh. I didn't care. I was at Pyramids. <laughs> Getting down, baby. And you had a, but you had a car stereo now. 
You came out of the car stereo with no car. <laughs> no, he left you, at <laughs> least he car. left you the car stereo. I didn't take that back. Yeah, too. It's probably worth eighty dollars. It worked. I never, yeah, it never worked. I probably, I never got to install it. I don't even work. What'd you do with it? What'd you do with it? I ended up selling it to Dominican guys like individually. <laughs> 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 Just swings and merry-go-rounds, guys. Swings and merry-go-rounds. <laughs> I thought you were just going to tell me you opened the boxes after you got back from pyramids. And then there was like weights or just nothing in the in the cereal boxes. No, no, no. Yeah, way better. Than better. Come on. Better. That's, got quality control, eh, Brian. Jeez, you kidding me? That's a great story, Milo. You never told that's me that. Just, uh, yeah. No, well, that's just one. There's what else so you got? Many. It was it, it was just a weekly, we a weekly thing. I do something stupid every every single like it's it's actually famous. If you asked anyone from the twins organization back in the 96, 97 era. And like I still had my rookie ball pitch because the funny thing is, despite all those fuck ups and despite how much of an absolute moron I was from the age of seventeen to twenty or five, whatever it was, um, <laughs> I managed to get back to the big leagues. Like this is what part, part of and people that were people that saw me back in the day shocked, to come huh? back and see me do what I was doing. Not so much shock because they all knew that I had you know obviously had some ability to play the game. It was just whether I was ever going to be able to focus enough to put those abilities to work. Um, so I think a lot of people were very happy. No one, no one's ever been – obviously, they're, they're a little disappointed at, at the way that my career went early on, but no one was ever mad because I tried to make everyone at least have a good time. You know, It was, it was more yeah. about yeah. the people around me having a good time and everybody enjoying themselves and making every situation that I was in fun. And if that meant hanging on to the back of trucks – Riding down US forty one on rollerblades to get to the mall, and I would do it. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Rollerblades, yep. rookie ball. Oh, story. Yeah, rookie ball is a disaster. There's so many guys yep. like that in rookie ball. So you're the well, overweight Aussie pitcher on rollerblades getting pulled by a truck to the mall. Yep. Well, I would just pick random trucks at stoplights and just roll, roll on them all the way to US forward. And I had a backpack, and I had a backpack that carried my shoes, and I'd, it was big enough to fit my rollerblades in it too. So, oh my goodness, yeah, oh, it was a, it was so much fun. And you, but these you are must... the kind of stories that built us, Dave. These are the kind of rookie ball. Rookie ball wasn't the same as it is now. You look at the yeah. new Braves the new Braves complex and it's like these kids yeah. are just going to have no fun but um, <laughs> they're staying they're there be, yeah at the complex because of sh- shit like this that you're describing <laughs> they're going to be committed to obviously their craft yeah. but they're not going to have any stories of them no. buying cast areas they're not going to pyramids nope they'll never know the, the love that you can feel <laughs> at, at two o'clock when DJ Cool comes on <laughs> And you're in the middle of a dance circle, Dave. It just doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> uh, so, hey, you still were, at the time, you must have been a pretty decent prospect for them to put up with that shit for two years. I mean, two years of rookie ball. Oh, I don't know that it was, I think it was more that they'd wasted an international visa on me and they didn't want to, because at that time, <laughs> uh, there was a limit of international visas. They were uh, only allowed 30. Uh, uh-huh. So, I think they're like, God, we've spent it on this douchebag already. We might as well keep him around. So the Dominican um, guys are going, man, we got, we got 500 guys in the Dominican better than this guy. They wasted this I, I roomed, I, a lot of my roommates early on were, were Latin guys and I, I loved it, man. I mean, you know, these guys were just coming from nothing and, and yeah. I would, I'd put on a, you know, I'd 
Uh, <laughs> you had a car stereo. You had a car stereo yeah. in the room. I wonder what they thought of me. Let's be honest. That's, uh, this guy. What is this guy doing? Oh, if we could and find you, one of those guys from that twin. I, look, I need to find somebody from that team. To get gonna, them on the I'm podcast. Gonna, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you uh, a, a photo of me in my twin uniform so you can get an idea of what I look I like. I got to see it. Too. Yeah. Shaggy hair, yeah. right? Uh, well, a lot of them are in hats, so it's just more buck tooth, uh-huh. like Harry Potter glasses. <laughs> uh, I was weighing in at a, about a 165 clip. Dang. So, yeah, 6'2", 165 when I first signed the rookie ball. Wow. My so you bad. Were, you went from skinny as a rail to fat then, huh? Whoa, whoa, easy. <laughs> I like, no, uh, no, no you, you described yourself as fat while ago. Yeah, 08 was my 08 was my probably my heftiest. I think when I was when because this was the first time that I'd experienced a downturn in 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 productivity in the big leagues and uh-huh. no downturn in the production of food. Yeah, that was around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spread. So you're not doing anything while you're recovering from Tommy John for the first eight weeks, except for piling stacks of shit in the. You just munch all day, <laughs> just walking around the clubhouse with nothing to do. Hey, so, so you're still a you- photo. Sorry, oh, you sent it to me? No, no, I haven't sent it to you yet. But oh. I will. I got to get it. It's 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 not on. It's not digital. It's yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. It's a Polaroid, I guess you call it. You were still uh, over the top delivery back then, obviously, right? I was. Yeah. yeah. And for I don't know, um, Until right you know the, how the over the top I was, but um, I, I was certainly a lot higher than than what it was. Yeah. And then it gradually just got lower and lower and yeah. lower. And I don't know what it was that, that sort of caused me to find the eventual arm slot in 2007 that I was able to find some success with, but I was a little higher in the WBC and I was a little, I had about nine different arm angles in 2006 when I was trying to find my uh-huh. arm angle. But. Yeah. Cause even in your debut, I, I saw a video of your debut, you were throwing like yeah. a low three quarter. You weren't sidearm. I was no, no, yeah. I was, but yeah, again, that was all just a product of, of coming from, Beer league baseball yeah. to <laughs> to hey by the way you got to figure this stuff up along the way and speaking of Jonathan Cherholtz Jonathan Cherholtz was my my shortstop for a lot of 2006 in Richmond wow um, I didn't know that so that's why my own run average was, was so high because he couldn't field a <laughs> wow throwing him under the bus after he gave you that sweet two year player coach deal yes that sweet <laughs> two year deal finally got one. <laughs> The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo, for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa on Halloween. We felt pretty weird buying a suit from a guy having the worst day of his life. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us all the way to our wedding day, so we got out of there. (laughs) And and who wouldn't? What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. 
From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. Wow. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code BRAVES. That's theblacktux.com, code BRAVES for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. So, hey, by the way, how did you get into baseball rather than Aussie rules football or rugby or something? I mean, it wasn't, baseball wasn't real big when you were in high school in Australia, right? No, there's no high school baseball. It's a, it's just all these clubs that so I how'd you about. get into it? Um, I just, uh, my dad, my dad was started playing um, at a local club at the age of 35, I think it was. And he'd also come over to the States for some uh, work trips and uh-huh. was lucky enough to go see a game at the Astrodome in the uh-huh. early early uh, 90s, I think, or late 80s or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, and he brought back a glove and a bat, and uh, we found a local table spot, started playing table, loved it. Um, didn't Didn't make any kind of representative team or, or wasn't wasn't considered good by anyone else besides myself until sort of 15 or 16 years old. So uh-huh. late bloomer, late developer, and then um, yeah, signed, went from not making a, a state team to signing a professional contract in a year and a half. Can't be easy to get even a look out there. What, what were you throwing? So it's um, – we have scouts, and back then it's, it hasn't really grown much. So over the last 15, 20 years, we, every team sort of had someone out there that they could not necessarily appoint as a scout or someone that they mm-hmm. someone that they had a point, as a point of reference for talent out of Australia. Um, but my scouting report when I first signed was I was, you know, 82 to 84, um, straight over the top <laughs> with an okay breaking ball. And, you know, how does that get I had you no idea. I was, an, I was a – what's how that? How did that get you – you yeah. know what I mean? Like, well, I'm not because you, as a, get you a look. No, 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 no. I 100% agree. <laughs> because as a 16 year old coming from Australia, who we don't have, we didn't have the baseball programs back then that you guys had. So our arms were so underdeveloped. Oh, okay. So when they looked at pitching, they'd probably take a lot of the miles per hour. It would be a bit of an old school approach to it. They'd look at your body type, they'd look at your athletic ability. And I was a shortstop. So I could field a ground ball. You know, I could I could play the outfield. I you know, I'd play try to play as many positions and as many sports as I could growing up. Yeah. So I could I felt yeah. like I could I could I was moved pretty well. Um. So, yeah, eighty four to to eighty five miles an hour. And, and but they were right. The twins decided to sign me. They were right. Exactly. They could pick it. That's cool. And it took me, it took me getting into the you know the throwing everyday programs and, and yeah, yeah. again still a young kid. But the next year I was up to you know eighty eight to ninety and then eventually ninety ninety two my. My third year, and then yeah, it all went to shit after that. <laughs> so it's a good thing that the scout who signed you from there didn't go with the old, uh, uh, didn't look at your face and say he has the good face. Jeez, Dave, that was terrible. We're gonna have to edit that part out, mate. Just, yes, that is that I've is that. that might be the worst attempt at whatever the hell that was that I've ever heard in my life. I've the good never face. Heard of that. You did, the good the face. Stunning, yeah. You've heard of that. 
Scouts say that. No. That's one of the things they used to put on the things. He's got the good face. He's got a good face. I've never heard that. Jim Leland. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jim I mean, Leland like, used to like, say it all the time when he's managing. Oh, he's got a good face. Like, he's got a good face. A confidence thing? or are you? No, nah, they just like it? scouts thought that they could tell a lot from a player. Some still do, older scouts, by looking at his face. He's got a good face. He's got a good face. I'd, hey, I'm just telling you, <laughs> look it up, base, look it up. I think you made that up, Dave. <laughs> I did not make that up. I did not make that up. <laughs> Why don't you tell that to Jonathan Nese or Jorge Cantu? <laughs> <laughs> or Bartolo Colon. Hey, he's, he's a beautiful face. But he's awesome. They're actually, they're, they're actually, look, just, just to go back to those years, just real quick, there was a period where um, – I was rooming with Grant Balfour, and anybody that knows Grant Balfour knows that he's a bit of a, or was especially a fitness yeah, fanatic. Yeah. So um, I was eating right, you know, I was eating nothing but grilled chicken and, and bananas and green vegetables and, and running and doing that sort of stuff. And I actually started to have a pretty good year, and I was starting, and then I was on the bucket. As you know, back then, you had to do the bucket as a starter. And... Jumped up for a fly ball with about six weeks to go in the season. Jumped up for a fly ball on the bu- on the bucket and landed on the side of uh, the old wheels that they used to wheel yeah. out with and ah. tore the ligaments in my ankle. And then that was the six weeks of of the end of the season. So I came home and, and went back next year, and that's when I ended up getting arrested and getting uh, sent home. That's what I was going to ask you about because I knew you had a, I knew you had season ending ankle injury. I had no idea what caused yeah. it. And that was yep. your second year of rookie ball. So then you come back. That was my your, second year rookie ball. Right. You come back for your third spring training. Yeah. You're in Fort Myers at the time, right? The Twins were in Fort Myers, right? Yep. Fort Misery. Yep. And, and you're at the beach one afternoon? I was at, at the <laughs> Acting yep. more like a spring breaker than a uh, than an aspiring pitcher. Is that correct? <laughs> because I was 18 years old, Dave. What do you want me to act like? You know, I'm not Mike Soroka. I wasn't very mature at all. <laughs> um so you're the anti-Mike uh, Soroka. Man. I'm the I'm the polar opposite of Mike Soroka at this stage of our lives. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I go down to the beach and I'm having a great time as as I tended to find myself doing a lot of the nights around there. And uh, I was wearing a Hawaiian. I've, I can send you my mugshot too. So I'll send you that as well. I was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. I had oh, I want to see the hair. mugshot. I want to see the mugshot. Um, I was just looking like a typical nuffy. And uh, some blonde guys hair? sort of come up. Yep, blonde hair, bleach, perfect. <laughs> okay. And uh, I guess I was talking to this guy's girlfriend early in the night, and he yeah. didn't appreciate it. And he came up to me, and and he just uh, took a swing, and I dodged the swing, and then I threw a punch, and then he was on the ground. And um, next thing I know, I was up against the wall in handcuffs, and I was being driven off to uh, Lee County Jail in Fort Myers, Florida. On a drunk and disorderly charge. On a drunk and disorderly charge, even though I wasn't drunk. Um, and then I just happened to be in the same cell as the roving hitting coordinator <laughs> of the Minnesota Twins at that time. No, no way. way. He was passed out asleep underneath the bench and I was sitting on top. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. What was he there for? Uh, but Drunk but and disorderly? <laughs> but you know what the, the, uh, the, the funniest part about it? Because of the time difference, you know, you get free calls, or at least in Lee County, you get free telephone call, reverse charge phone calls. So there was a toilet uh, um, with a telephone right above it. So I was literally doing the leg up on the toilet seat, calling all my buddies back home in Australia, <laughs> reverse charges, letting them know that I'd been arrested because of the time difference. It was early morning. So Did they answer? That's where my head, 
That's where my head was. Of course. That's awesome. <laughs> that's where my that's where my headspace was. I also called. I had to call. The only guy that I knew that would have $75 to get me out was Michael Restovich, who was the first round draft pick from that year. Oh, man. He came yeah. down and bailed you out. He came down and bailed me out. The bonus the baby did. How are you feeling about your odds yep. of uh, – did you think that was even a big deal? Like, I'm, I'm definitely getting released for this, or maybe I'll, maybe I'll skate by. Look, I'd skate by with everything else that I'd yeah. done to that point. So a, a small percentage of me thought, I might get away with this. <laughs> you know, I, I, I haven't showed up three times this year. <laughs> I just got arrested on a drunken disorderly. I've got a four-point-something ERA, and I've got a busted ankle <laughs> the year before. Nah, no, nah, I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. There's only 150 guys that are better than me standing in this room, but I'll be fine. Did anybody ever tell you, you know, like pull you aside and say, hey, uh, you might want to clean it up? Everybody tried yeah. to do it. It was, so, it was so bad that the guy that, the guy that signed me, he's, we, I still talk to him once or twice a week. His name's Howie Norsetter. And uh, the guy that signed me even had an intervention one day where he came and, and stayed with me for three days and tried to get me to stop drinking soda like anything to try and get me to go to sleep at nighttime is what he was trying to do. He's like, he's just trying to cut everything out because he could see that there was some potential, but I just wasn't going to let that happen. I wasn't going to let good times get in the way of my potential, you know? You found a way. I know you I weren't, you weren't going to let your potential get in the way of good times. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah. That's almost as good as your. Yeah. Good almost. Joke almost. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you said, I think the quote for, to Rustin in the athletic was, I was just a shit kid. I thought I had the key to success and I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I was a typical, quote. typical 17 year old. I wouldn't listen to anyone. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, actually the person that I feel the worst for is, um, not the worst, but cause obviously it's been a long time, but my dad, that first year when I came back from pro ball, my first year, and I literally, I knew everything. There, there was nothing that anybody could tell me at that stage in my life. And Still. I came back and oh, I, oh, I, and I for, yeah. <laughs> no, I then, and, and yeah, I live, yeah. I lived with him for, for a week and a half and it was the most miserable week and a half. I put him through so much shit and I said, I can't, I can't stand this. I got to go because I wasn't going to listen to anybody's rules at that stage. So uh-huh. I moved out, but you know, we, we didn't talk for a long, long time because of how much of a shit kid I was, but we obviously really? recovered and, and we've, uh, we've come a long way, but yeah, it was, it was, Part of what got me to where I am now in my life, but there was there was also some, some times where I sort of think back, man, you were such a dickhead. What were you doing? We all do. <laughs> no, no. You can't look back at when you're 18 and yeah. wish you would have done a lot yeah. different. I mean, you're, you're probably, yeah, Mike Soroka. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, That's why a lot of rare. us just do it freshman year of college, you know, yeah. where nobody ever finds out these things. Yeah. So. so so you got booted. Is that it? You got When you got out of jail, did you get did you get – Kicked off the team. At I that went point? into I went into um, the offices the next morning and tried to plead my case and and just wanted to because when you package it all together it's a lot of stupid shit but individually it was just you know some right. few little mistakes yeah um, <laughs> and the whole the whole getting arrested thing wasn't my fault it wasn't like it wasn't. They told all the guys that I was there with that they were just going to put me in the car and hold me there for a couple of minutes and then they were going to let me go. So it just it, it escalated quickly for some reason. I don't know why. Um, and then I ended up in jail. But um, look, it was 
<laughs> I don't even know where I'm going with this part of the story right now, but it was just it was it was a time in my life where where I I look back and and I, I have so many cool memories of it, and I still talk to friends from back then too, guys that that uh, were roommates or guys that I played with back then. We still we still kind of talk on a regular basis, uh, even though there was that huge gap between. Uh-huh. when I eventually stopped playing minor league baseball and got back to the big leagues. And, and some of them uh, went on to have big careers that you played rookie ball? Um, the, the only guy that I, that I know of that went was uh, Juan Rincon. Juan uh-huh. Rincon was, was, uh, was a pretty good reliever for the Rockies and the Twins. Mm. And, um, you know, I, there was a few guys like AJ Brzezinski was in A-ball when I was in rookie ball. Uh-huh. Um, Corey Kosky was in A-ball when I was in rookie ball because Fort Myers, Miracle were in the same sort of area. So you got to see those, those guys a lot. Um, but, man, that's yeah. a reminder. Though, that's a reminder of how hard it is. We've talked about this, yeah. on how hard it is to get to the big leagues. You're talking about everybody you played rookie ball with for two years and you have to search to find one guy that even had a career, a good career. Yeah, I mean, um, man, so Mike, hard. Mike Ryan, Michael Ryan was a huge prospect that came in while I was there. and, uh-huh. and uh you know, he had, he had an okay career. Um, mm-hmm. Ended up playing with him again with the Braves back in 12, I think it was. So talk about coming full circle. But that was another yeah. thing that was was actually quite hilarious was seeing the guys that were still in the game when I came yeah. back. Yeah. And, you know, that was that was really funny to be able to catch up with those guys as well. But you see, well, if, you'd have, if you'd have told them at the time, if somebody had told them at the time, the guy that's going to have the best or yeah. maybe the second best career on this team is Peter yeah. Moylan, yeah, the guy that just yeah. got booted off and sent back to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> but you have you well, have first rounders that that come in with the same mindset that Moylan had. Uh-huh. You know, you, it's uh-huh. it's all the way up and down the charts. So like you just can't predict an eighteen year old kid. Or he was seventeen, yeah, but yeah. it's it's the whole thing, man. Yeah. And you see it so much yeah. in rookie ball; it's almost impossible to project who's going to hold it together and, and be able to function in pro ball. And then yep. we criticize or people yeah. wonder why like Latin guys come over, you know, they sign at 16. They don't usually come over here till 17 or 18, but you wonder, I mean, talk about different culture. They yeah. can't even speak the language, you know, and we expect them to come over here and just assimilate and, and, you know, they've never had money and all of a sudden they're living over here in hotels and people don't understand why they can screw up. And it's like, come on, how could you not yeah. screw up? It's, it's. I have a, a huge appreciation for what they go through because I know how hard, hard it was for me. Yeah. Um, yeah speaking just English. being from a different country, still speaking English. Yeah. 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 Whereas these guys come over here and just yeah. But, yeah, you were able uh, to charm them with your accent. These guys come over here, they can't speak English. Yeah. <laughs> it's either it's either they get charmed or they just ask me to repeat myself three or four times. <laughs> or they want to punch your, or they want to punch your face out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stop talking to my girlfriend. We're talking to their girlfriend. girlfriend. <laughs> uh, so so you you good. didn't answer my question. You got booted right then? Did you get kicked? You work visa yeah, taken uh, and all they, that? No, they so they they said to me they I went in there the next day and I was like this is what happened. I explained my side of the story. They said, we really appreciate you coming in. Um, just go ahead and do the, the day's workout. So I was like, ah, cool. I might've got away with this. Part of the day's workout was a three, three mile run. So <laughs> I ran that. And then the next morning I went in there and they released me. They couldn't release me on the spot. So I didn't have to do the three mile run. They had to wait till after the three mile run. <laughs> and then they had to give it the next day. But yeah, I got released the next day. And, uh, at, I think, I, I think it, at that stage, I was almost ready to get out of there. It was, it was almost like, okay, well, this clearly isn't the right time for me. Um, uh-huh. It was almost like a relief to get released, which sucks because 
you know, so many guys worked so hard to get that opportunity that I got and I mm-hmm. just pissed it away initially. Um, so that was a little frustrating too because you look back and you're like, man, what have I done? But yeah. now you look back and you go, okay, well, it's made me who I am. But <laughs> had I not had the second chance that I got, luckily enough, then, uh-huh. you know, think about the opportunity that I just pissed away. When you got released, did you think you had big league potential? No. No. I, I No. Because I, even looking around at that yeah. stage, like the guys, the guys were just bigger, stronger. Um, they threw harder. Um, you know, I, I got to the point where I had a, I had a pretty good run of three or four games when I was starting before I hurt my ankle, and I started to figure it out a little bit. Um, but again, eighteen years old, completely clueless, not really knowing what was going on, um, and then eventually getting hurt again. Uh, it was, yeah, it's just. It's just so it's so hard to when you don't come in with the big prospect shine. Right. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to make an impression without just dominating. It's got to take you dominating to get yeah, for people sure. to look at you and go, "Oh shit!" Um, so oh, I was never at that stage. No way. I just called up your stats from that second year of rookie ball. You were eighteen. It was second year rookie ball, but you're still only eighteen. Uh, you're a high yep. school kid in uh, in uh, over here in the states and. You were uh, you had a four oh five ERA at twelve games, seven starts, but you had forty strikeouts and ten walks with no homers allowed in forty innings. I mean, yep. I, there was something there. There was something there, absolutely. And I was I was commanding, um, and I still remember I was commanding my pitches back then. Um, I got into a rhythm with my delivery, and I was winding up, and you know I was able to dot with my fastball, and I was able to throw my breaking ball where I wanted to, and and you know I had a change up at that stage too. Uh-huh. So I do remember feeling good before I hurt my ankle. And I remember the rhythm that I was in and I remember feeling comfortable and I remember going, man, I'm in a groove and my pitching coach and I were in a groove. And I feel like, I feel like starters and pitching coaches have better relationships than relievers and pitching coaches just because you just have to deal with each other more often, I guess. Um, And I can remember my pitching coach would, would be in a groove with me during, during my good starts. And it was, uh, it was cool. I had, it was, that was the turning point. And then I, then I tore the ligaments and, Punched a guy in the face. <laughs> so, so yeah, the, I, there's not many guys you can look at their baseball reference uh, page and see 1997, 18, and the next entry is 2006, 27. Oh, Triple A. Yeah. Yep. Rookie Water Triple A. Yeah, that's right. You made quite a leap. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, also – that was a bit of a uh, an, an eye-popping experience to go from you're a pharmaceutical rep playing weekend baseball to <laughs> nope you just get up and go to the baseball field every day now yeah that was it was unreal and i had so much fun in those first first few years even though i was just getting sent up and down from triple yeah. a to the big leagues a lot it was just at one point i remember saying because you know when you first get to the big leagues it's the big leagues you're not instantly accepted uh-huh. So I, I remember saying to myself that I wish that I could play with the guys in AAA but make the money I'm making in the big leagues because it was just the guys in AAA were grinders. They were having fun. They would you know, make the most of a shitty situation. A lot of those guys deserved to be somewhere else and weren't. Uh-huh. But every guy just had, had a great time and a great attitude. It was uh, some of the best times. And even my rookie ball times were, were hilarious too. <laughs> well, hey, what were you doing and obviously, like physically – you had a however many year break. What were you doing? Were you working out or just hanging? Yeah. All right. So I was, but I wasn't working out specifically for baseball. I was working. I'd go to work every day. 
Um, I'd go to the gym four or five times a week and just do my beach body workouts yeah. to make sure my arms look good. Legs, arms do you do any legs? Come on. <laughs> Come on, bro. Um, Day laborer. So, yeah. And, no, no, I was working at, uh, I don't know what I was doing at this stage. Um, no, I'm looking at all these I, jobs. I worked so many jobs. Had, but, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'd Concrete still go to the gym, work? but I'd, I'd train twice twice a week on a Tuesday and a Thursday and then we'd play on, on the weekend. So I was throwing three times a week. I was throwing BP. I was, uh, I was still doing a lot of baseball activities. I was hitting ground balls. I was fielding ground balls. Um, but yeah, I just was every staying year. in. Okay. Show it every year. Yeah. Hey, so you, so you had winter all these jobs. Summer. What's that? So you had your. Played winter and summer. So all year uh, round I was, I was uh, playing. When did you, when did you realize winter. you could throw 90 miles an hour? Uh, that was the season. It was Oh five, October of 2005. <laughs> and I was, uh, pitching. I was playing first base, first of all, for the Victorian team against another state. And there was Australian team scouts there just looking at other players Anything. to choose for the WBC. Team. Yeah. So they were scouting other, other players. And I just happened to go from first base to the mound to finish off. It was like a mo- it was basically a mop-up inning at the end of the game. No clue like mechanics and, uh, or anything you were doing. You're just throwing a ball. Oh, well, no, because I'd, I'd already pitched and I'd been pitching in club ball. So they just said, you know, do you want to give it a go? And I was like, yeah, I'll get, get up there and pitch at that level. So uh, jumped down, dropped my arm down, was throwing. That's the first radar gun. And I'd, and I'd sort of known that I was throwing hard. fairly hard yeah. based looking at guys' swings for the last couple of months. Um, so I, I knew that it was coming out okay, but then it wasn't until they actually had the radar gun out and said, you were, you were sitting 94 and you touched 96. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> so you dropped down in, and in added beer, like six miles an hour? In beer league baseball. It was, it was I, I, not even, but this is the thing. He's not doing any crazy training. He's playing. I mean, yeah, it's just casual, nothing. just casual. You jump on the mound and find out you're throwing 96. That's Oh, let me tell you, my routine during those games would be to play first base for eight innings and then run down to the sideline, get 10 throws in, and I'd come in and I'd throw 92 to 96 miles an hour. It was absolutely ludicrous how that happened. It is. I don't understand. I, I don't understand. I don't. I still to this day. That's a movie. People dedicate their lives to get it. You know, like there's there's some kid that's his dad's running him wild, like just running him into the ground. He's 14 years old and he's miserable. His dad wants him to get to 90. You know, and people dedicate their lives training, long talks, and doing all this stuff. Go to drive line, try to get that ad velo. Everything they possibly can, they top out at 87 because 87 is hard for a normal person. (laughs) This dude's playing first base in beer league and just rolls up and throws 96. Ten warm-up throws. Yeah, that's wild, man. So you can imagine, you can imagine as as the story progressed um, <laughs> from because it was never. You, you got, I, I was. Ne- this was never supposed to happen, guys. This was not. This was not. Oh, uh, you know, this, this guy's definitely going to make it to the big leagues, or you know, there's a chance. Yeah. It was okay. You had your chance. Yeah. This is seven yeah. years later, <laughs> and you're pitching. I was pitching against a Japanese team. Uh, one game because the uh, cheaper lot of Marines were going to sign me. This was when it all started to kick off. This when I this is when I was thinking to myself, man, there's a chance that I can do this. Um, and Bobby Valentine was managing the cheaper lot of Marines at this stage, wow. and we were playing against them in the lead up games for the WBC. And uh-huh. that's when he he came across and he was speaking to John Deeble, who was our manager, and he said, 
hey, who's the uh, who's the wild thing guy with the glasses? <laughs> and uh, they were going to offer me a contract for $200,000 to go play in the minor leagues over there. And I turned that down and then went and pitched in the WBC and then signed with Atlanta the next day. Wow. That's so insane. How many teams talk yeah. to you besides the Braves? Uh, Red Sox, <clears throat> Diamondbacks, and um, the Blue Jays at that stage were – I didn't really give it enough time. I Could I yeah. – I could, probably could have done it smarter where, you know, oh, I could have gone, okay, I'm going to do a, a showcase and have everybody yeah. come out and do it. And, but it wasn't about that. It was, it was just such a shock for me. Yeah. I was so excited that I was getting the attention of people again and I was, you know, yeah. I was going to get another chance to do it. But it was just – it was like, just give me th- – 30 grand and enough money to, to not cost me anything for the year because I was making good money as a pharmaceutical rep. Uh-huh. I just wanted that total of the money that I was going to make that year to not be less than what I would have made had I been uh-huh. in Australia. <laughs> and it certainly worked out pretty well. Did you wow. feel like, did you feel like, you know, I really have a shot at, at playing in the big leagues or this is just another, you know, I'm just going to go over there and, and make a little money and, and try it out. But this isn't realistic. With with each with each outing that I had against quality hitters and watching the types of swings that uh, guys were having, even early on when I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> I was like, "Man, this is this is this could be a thing. Like this could this could definitely be something." And then the WBC thing was just all adrenaline, and I again had no idea where the ball was going, and the ball was moving all over the place. And um, but once that WBC outing was over, you knew. I thought, okay, well, I've just got four of the four of the best hitters in the world out. Who'd you face? Um, uh, Ordonez, uh, Cabrera, um, <laughs> Marco Cabrera. Scudero, <laughs> uh, um, Bobby Abreu. And you're playing first base <laughs> a month ago. Maglio Ordonez, like yeah, and and I was playing first base six weeks earlier and uh getting Miggy yeah, out so, god that's absurd yeah. it's absurd and it is absolutely absurd yeah i remember um, when they told us they were signing this this kid from the australian and then they said well he's not a kid but it's signing this guy from australia wbc team we're going oh that's that's great that's, that's a little cute. gimmicky thing yeah. that'll be yeah that's cute. cute and then you came to camp and, he, and you had the little round glasses and yeah. they had you, rings I don't even remember the nipple rings. I don't think I saw you with the shirt off. You had nipple rings on? They were there. Trust me. They were there. I know AJ Burnett had them when I was covering him with the Marlins years before that, but I didn't know you had them. Actually, you know what? You you probably wouldn't have seen them because uh, Dave Moore called me the day before I was going to come over and be a backup for the big league side the first time. I remember I was walking into the Outback Steakhouse with Stocky. That's a bit colloquial, but we were walking into the Outback Steakhouse and I got a phone call from Dayton Moore and he said, hey, you got to go over and back up in the big leagues tomorrow. I was like, holy cow, that's amazing. He says, I, I would suggest that you probably take your nipple rings out before you get over there. <laughs> took them out as I, as I was walking into the restaurant, took out my nipple oh, rings, but I washed my hands. It's probably the only time he's had to make that call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, good chance. That's a good chance. Yeah, because yeah. we would have pointed that out. I would have heard that. Yeah, and you, but you were sitting like I think yeah. like two lockers over from Andrew Jones because he always sat on the minor league side at spring training. He always preferred right. to sit on the minor league side. But I just remember yeah. you sitting there distinctly, and you were talking. Uh, I I remember that like it was yesterday. 
I did okay. too. I was okay. sitting down the locker. This is the first guy? time I'd, I'd ever done an interview. Yeah, especially yeah. surrounded by more than one, <laughs> more than one local local paper guy who's holding yeah. his own camera with his own microphone. <laughs> that kind of guy's the only interview I'd ever done. We're like, well, we got to talk to this guy. This colorful story. Yeah. Probably won't write about him again, but we got to do it one day. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I think that's the I think that's the thing that I'm I'm sort of most proud of is that. You know, and early on, I was just a, a rodeo, a roadshow. You know, who's this yeah. guy from from the WBC? Um, but you know, I managed to I managed to to turn that into a pretty a pretty decent career. Yeah. Um, and and it was uh, I had got some stories and some fun along the way, and I'm going to continue to tell the story for as long as people will listen. So you- I think it's pretty cool. Eventually, I'll, I think I'll write a book. But I was going to see how it ended, but I think now we know it ends with the Olympics. But- I wouldn't happen, put it past so. you to play again somehow. No, I know. <laughs> like 46. That's yeah, the weird thing. Wait till 2021 Olympics. Now we have the now we have the WBC next year. It's kind of like, well, I could get ready for the WBC and the Olympics in one year. Or yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, you should be you should be in good form. You want to come pitch in Australia this offseason? I would. Now's the time. Now's the time. Yeah, I played beer league softball last summer. That was pretty fun. We're going, I'm the best we're going guy out the back-to-back there. champs, man. So that's what, that's what it's all about. You don't want to be the worst guy on the best team. You want to be the best I was the best. The it, was, it was the first time in, I've been the best player on the field in a really long time. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, did you yeah. – uh, not uh, Moilo, did you re- do you think all those yeah. jobs that you had in your 20s, do you think uh, it made you appreciate it more when you got back? You were like a day laborer. You worked for a Japanese security company, whatever that was. <laughs> You did, sure con- did you did concrete yep. work? Secom security systems. Pool Let plumber? me tell you about Secom security systems real quick. Let me just I want to hear about yeah. this place. Let me just tell you, okay. This was at the height this was at the height of my stuttering. So I go in for a job interview, <laughs> right? First interview out of first interview out of Pro Bowl. I'm suited up, I'm sweating my dick off. And I walk in and I'm like, G'day, I'm Pete Moylan, I'm here for the job interview. Probably said it with a stutter. And the guy looking across from me kind of must have looked at me and just felt so sorry for me because I couldn't get a freaking word out. And he ends up giving me a job. So he gives me a job to sell these security systems. He gets me on a retainer, gives me a company credit card, gives me a phone, gives me a car. I drove around for three months. I did about four appointments and I didn't do anything. I literally drove to the beach, would sit there and have lunch, look at the waves, make a couple of phone calls. Three months I did that job for, collecting a retainer and I did not sell. I didn't even... Bring another product out of my car. That's how bad I was. <laughs> oh my god, that is, yep. that's tremendous. <laughs> then there was the then there was the um, the, the upholstery fabric salesman. Uh, I got I actually got poached. I was working for a um, a lift chair company. You know the chairs they sell to nursing homes and retirement villages. Uh-huh. that help people get up out of their chair. Right, they lift right, them up. Right. So I, I was selling these to nursing homes and retirement villages, and uh, I was actually poached by an upholstery fabric company <laughs> to come and start working for them. So I went over and started working for the upholstery furniture company, selling upholstery furniture to upholsterers and furniture manufacturers. <laughs> Where was uh, the pool plotter job? Time. And Where I, was that? The, when was that the was pool straight out of Pro Bowl. Ah, okay. That was straight out of Pro Bowl. 
he was uh, he was one of the one of the outfielders on on the team of a uh, team that I played for in Sydney at a pool plumbing business and needed a labourer. So we just again that was more of a case that he just wanted someone to hang out with him. So I would just sort of stand around and talk to him and entertain him and occasionally pass him some red and blue glue to put on white pipes and that was it. Yeah. And what was the glass? I was a concreter for a while there too. Yeah. What was that? Just pouring concrete, concrete worker. I was yeah. I'd have to. I'd have to take the wheelbarrow from the truck to the. That, that's the hardest job. Yeah. That has ever been bestowed on a man. It's that's a workout. Just, it's, and then not only once you've done shoveling all the shit uh-huh. and wheelbarrowing it over to where you need to put it, you then have to spend the next three hours bent over at the hip, making uh-huh. sure that it's all flat yeah. and the edges yeah. are perfect. It's, wow. It sucks. It yeah. absolutely sucks. Yeah. Last last back installer was probably the the, the most fun laboring job I've had. What was that? Glass black backsplash, Um, you know, behind stoves, that kind of thing. Yes. So everywhere you see in the kitchen where you've got tiles or or stainless or whatever, you can actually put glass, um, colored Mm -hmm. painted glass. So, and it was fairly new at the time. So we were going to all these primo houses all around Sydney with unbelievable views, installing these glass splashbacks. and that was really cool. But I was <clears throat> I was trying to save up for my first wedding. So I was working very, very hard. So I would get to the factory at about 7 o'clock, load up the truck with all the glass, go out and install all day, get back at around 5 o'clock, have a little bit of dinner. From about 6 to 8, I would then cut the glass. From 8 to 10, I would paint the glass. And then from 10 to 7, I'd try and get some sleep and go back the next day. Really? But that was so cool. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was a little different. Work ethic. Hashtag work ethic. <laughs> no kidding, man. They, they finally found you, uh, your bailiwick, something that you like to do. Can you get back with my what? Your bailiwick. <laughs> There's another that? one. <laughs> Nothing. Google it. <laughs> so, so hey, okay. do you think all this, all these jobs, though, do you think that, and being away nine years, when you got back, did it make you appreciate it even more and all that you've been through? I mean, having seen the other side, you know, like Gaddis did, you know. I don't think it had it. It had nothing to do with the jobs. It was just the fact, you know, all those jobs that I had were not by choice. It was by necessity. Uh, it wasn't like, yeah. oh, I'll just go do this now. I had to make money. So, right. And I had to find a way to do it. Right. Um, but 1000% was the fact that I was away from the game eight years and then got a chance to come back. Yeah. It gave me a total appreciation for what, what it, um, I mean, it also caused me to maybe live a little bit too fast early on because I didn't know how long it was going to last but um you know i had a great time along the way um but yeah it's it's there's nothing like because that's the that's the issue that a lot of these guys are faced with now is that they come straight out of high school they've probably been playing travel ball since the time they were seven or eight years old yeah that's all they've known it's all they it's all they know it's all they think about it's all they care about and if it doesn't happen then what yeah yeah no reality i can you can drop me on an island right now and i I think i'd be all right i'd I'd be able to find my way off there. At least I'd be able to talk my way on, on or off there. But um, yeah, these kids are so one sport specific that I think it just it, it messes with their development. So do you think if uh, – uh, is it one of those cases where you survived it, so now looking back you wouldn't change a thing? I mean because it made you what you are today, all the, all the crap you went through? Look, people say that and if there was no – 
repercussions for me being able to change things, I would change a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> because my life would have worked out a lot sweeter had I not done some of the stupid shit that I did. But yeah. I'm also very happy to where I where I've ended up. Um, you know, I I got a 12 year major league baseball career out of basically shit. <laughs> and I didn't start till I was 27 yeah. years old. And I'm um yeah. It's I'm still I'm still able to have this chat with you guys. Yeah, you wouldn't be here. Play around the game, and I'm still able to work with Fox Sports South. Like it's just this. The game has given me everything, and it's going to continue to for the remainder of my life. And And you got a mansion in Georgia. And you got a mansion in Georgia. Mansion. (laughs) Save it. Yeah, you wouldn't be. You wouldn't be. It wouldn't be nearly as interesting if you'd have gone the conventional route. You might have made quite a bit more money, but. It wouldn't be nearly as interesting, yeah. and the, it wouldn't be a movie. Though. It wouldn't be a movie waiting to be made about you. No, that's right. <laughs> Although they do say you can't spend stories, you can only spend cash. I like that. <laughs> Where's the entertainment in that? <laughs> that's terrific. All right. Well, oh, you, you ever want to get? In, oh, you ever want to get into coaching? Uh, man, we talked about this last time. I don't. I don't really want to move my family around. I, I would love to because I love working with young guys and, and it's fun passing everything on to them. You know, you learn so much stuff that is just common sense to you by the time you're done playing that they've never even thought of. And it's like eye-opening advice you can give them. But yeah. I, I enjoy that a lot. But, I, you know, you got to take your kids out of school and, and move your family around. It's I'd love to do like a roving thing where you're kind of in and out, you know, get out of the house when it gets a little noisy around here. But, um, yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. Go. Go coach at University of Washington. Or Don't you have really to go to college school. to be a college coach? Uh, it's, uh, it's I don't know about coach. Yeah, I'm not sure about coach, but you're probably right. Yeah, I would have to. I would have to get a master's to go teach. How about that? Really? They don't even care about practical experience. Yeah. Um, what about a high school? Same thing. I guess you need to have a college degree. Yeah, and then you know, high school kids. Uh, I'd rather coach guys with some skill. You know, there's the yeah, high school yeah. kids aren't yeah. quite good enough to really pass on right. the type of knowledge that, that I value yeah. passing on, I guess. Yeah. There might be one kid, you know. Right, right. But pro ball, you get through <laughs> to a kid like Moylan, you know. <laughs> you may, I got, no one got through I'm, to me. I got through to I myself. I might have been no the one. guy, you know. I might have been the guy that got you through You might have been you. it. You know, you never know. You could have get to my level. <laughs> yeah. Hey, maybe they saved your life, man. Maybe the twins when they booted you off the team. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows what it was that was that that decisive moment where my life took the, the route that it yeah. did. But I feel like it's been uh, – I've still got plenty left too. Don't remember that. This yeah. Gonna be, this is going to be fun over the next 10 to 15 years working with, working with Fox. Hopefully I can – keep my job and this podcast doesn't make me lose it. <laughs> hey, did you there's, get a, your... there's, a, there's another level to these stories. There's another level to these stories that we can't quite get to, but I'll just we'll, we'll go I'll back to save those for the book. We'll revisit when you get when you get fired from Fox for punching someone in the face. <laughs> <laughs> hey did you we're, get your daughter out of New York? I'm looking for a job. You got yeah, it. Yeah she was she was home for a while before it happened. She was you know she was in New Rochelle for the majority of the time she was in New York. So uh-huh. um and then she was she was home just after Christmas, so she's good. New Rochelle, weren't they? Have, uh, that was Rochester that had the. No, no, it was it was New Rochelle. That, New Rochelle that's where it was really bad. That's yeah. where they, the that's where the epicenter was in New York for yeah. the longest time. All right. And yeah. then obviously Manhattan took over. Yeah, very good. 
She's good though, right? Nothing? No problem? Yes. All right. No, very good. Um, the other family, the rest of the family, holy cow. I mean, I love my family a lot. I do. And I say this to everyone that I talk to. I love my family a lot. But this has been a long time together in one house. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got two daughters there and your and your wife? No, no, just one. I, okay. I got my wife, my mother-in-law, and my daughter. So oh, oh, the mother-in-law. We've, we've, yeah, we've, okay. established, we've established some grand rules, whereas there's certain areas of the house. <laughs> That, that, that it's a penis only zone. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good sign. Do you have a sign that says that? <laughs> no, you don't need a sign. Trust me, it's not that big. <laughs> on, that yeah. no- on that note, all right. That's it. We are uh, we're done. Seven fifty five is real. We're done with Peter Moylan. Thanks, Pete. We'll uh, we'll have you back to go further and does. delve deeper into these stories. That was awesome, Moylo. The statute of limitations right. is up on some of them, isn't it? So we're good. <laughs> That's the only reason I was allowed back in the country after my first arrest. Of course, it's up. <laughs> All right. Hey, it's been real. We'll talk to you guys again on uh, uh, Tuesday. Sounds good. All right, we're out. Mm-hmm.